Hey, it's Elliot. I just wanted to give a quick reminder to hit the subscribe button if you haven't yet. We don't usually publish on a regular schedule, so subscribing will give you a heads up when there's a fresh episode to check out. And if you love the podcast as much as we love making it, leave us a rating and a review. Thanks. Heineken beer is known around the world for its iconic green bottles. Though that color choice probably wasn't made years ago to match its environmental consciousness, there's no question that Heineken is striving to become more green by the day. The company's chief transformation and corporate affairs officer, Stacey Tank, recently rejoined the company after spending a few years at Home Depot, first as its CCO and then leading its multi-billion dollar home installation business. Her mission now is to supercharge Heineken's growth. The company's evergreen growth strategy is guiding its sustainability efforts, which include aggressive targets on energy efficiency and speeding its transition to renewables. How can we use less water over time, make sure that um, that we're operating and supporting healthy watersheds around our breweries? And when it came to carbon, based on the work, the Paris Climate Agreement and everything going on with the Green New Deal in Europe, we felt like we needed to go for carbon neutrality. On tap this episode, an in-depth look at how the company is transforming its operations and Stacy's role in building its sustainable future, giving new meaning to drink responsibly. I'm Elliot Mizrahi, and this is The New CCO. The company was founded in 1864 by a young, tenacious young man named Herard Adrian Heineken. He was a Dutch um, son of a cheese trader, an entrepreneur from an entrepreneurial family. And at age 22, he bought the first brewery we call the Haystack a, a bit after his father passed away and his father left him a bit of capital. And he famously said, it's all or nothing. I want to own this brewery. And uh, he bought it, he ran it, he grew it. And since then, Heineken has become the most international brewer, the second largest brewer in the world. We're in 80, uh, we have 80 operating companies. And uh, in a special way, we also continue the Heineken family heritage. So we're publicly traded, but our largest shareholder is the fourth generation owner, Charlene Heineken. So you get a really strong family relational feeling inside the company. We're passionate about people, about togetherness, enjoyment of life, bringing a smile. And because we're 157 years old, I think also because we're a European company, because the family is still supporting the company and uh, are incredible, the role that they play, uh, motivating and cheering us on, I think we innately understand in a different way than other, other companies or other uh, experiences that I've had, what it means to take a long-term view and what it means to be in a community for the long run. And when we build a brewery, we're there for 80, 90, 100 years. So sustainability means something, it runs deep in the culture. And when, when we think about sustainability, we actually think in three categories. We think about the environmental piece, but we also think about social sustainability, human rights, equal pay for equal work, fair wages, that those types of important social sustainability topics, as well as the responsible consumption of alcohol. As a brewer, we're really passionate about the, the responsible consumption of alcohol, that we take a firm and clear stance on the harmful use of alcohol. And we're always trying to use our biggest assets, our brands, 
to advance moderation, to make moderation cool, and to make sure that a low alcohol by volume beverage like a beer um, can have a, a positive place in many people's lives, part of a healthy lifestyle and, and bring a little enjoyment to life. You're not only encouraging people to drink responsibly, you as a company are finding ways to produce the beverages responsibly. And so mm -hmm. that feels rooted in the identity of the company. Absolutely. And it speaks also to the, the new evergreen balanced growth strategy in its fiber, in its foundation. We've structured our value creation model to now put organic top line growth, efficient capital allocation and profit on equal footing with sustainability and responsibility. So it's and, and, and. We have to ask all those questions. Is it driving growth? Is it profitable? Is it a good use of our money? Is it a good use of our capital? Is it sustainable and responsible? Only if we can answer those questions in the affirmative should we move forward. That's what Evergreen's all about, balanced growth, all stakeholders. And having it woven into the fabric of the way we run the business. And what is the Brew a Better World strategy? Yeah, so as part of Evergreen, we have five what we call internally work streams. And those work streams are superior growth, cost and value, which helps to fuel the growth, digital and technology, which is, of course, a big enabler as we're driving growth and delighting customers and consumers, people and culture, because it is all about our people and making sure that our folks are being stretched and that they have what they need to achieve the dreams they have for themselves and be successful. And then sustainability and responsibility. So those are the five components of Evergreen. And Brew a Better World is the program, the vehicle that we use to bring sustainability and responsibility to life. And within that, again, you have the environmental side, the social side, the responsible consumption side. And in April this year on Earth Day, we relaunched our 2030 ambitions as part of Brew a Better World. And now we're off to the races, trying to operationalize and bring those new commitments to life. Things like reaching carbon neutrality in production by 2030 and the first global brewer to make that kind of commitment. One of the things, Stacey, that you and I talked about was this shared vision that you and Dolph have had for the company. What was the genesis of those five kind of pillars of this strategy? Was that something that had already been in place in some form or... How much of that was created as a response to the unique challenges that the company is facing today? Yeah, I think like everything, a lot of this type of strategy work is iterative and it would be recognizable in terms of the categories of what you're going to focus on to drive a successful organization. It would be recognizable, surely, um, as the next step in um the journey that was existing under the leadership team beforehand, who did a fabulous job running the company as a top quartile growth company. And so it was really standing on the shoulders of work that they had led and being, you know, trying to stretch ourselves to go to the next level, knowing that stakeholder capitalism is a topic uh, that many of us are passionate about, uh, passionate about knowing that uh, Dolph and I have been both engaged in some of the same organizations over time, that have been exploring how businesses can both grow uh, financially and honor its uh, shareholders in a financial sense, but also do it in a way that is more circular, that is much less wasteful, 
so we're, we're always like-minded, I think, on that topic. And so figuring out ways to even further embed it into the fabric of how we were going to run the company, how are we going to drive Evergreen forward? That's where, for example, our value creation model, which in the past we called the golden triangle, it had top line growth, uh, profit and capital allocation and the three corners of that triangle. So with Evergreen, we launched the green diamond and the diamond adds sustainability and responsibility on equal footing. What has the addition of that fourth point in the diamond required in terms of transforming the company operationally? I think we had to, and we were fortunate to have time and space to do some deep reflecting on what we wanted to be when we grew up on that fourth side of the, uh, the diamond. As a brewer, the responsible consumption piece is it runs really deep. And there we continue to push to have a more positive impact to work in coalition with partners who can really make systemic change. So it's, you know, doing as much as we can, learning from others, working as industry when it comes to transparency, labeling the science, making sure that it's available to consumers, transparent. So that piece is is an evolution, uh, but a continuation of a deeply passionate work that uh, I think all of us in this industry, you just simply have to wake up every day thinking about responsibility in that regard. When it comes to social sustainability, the world as we know the last 18 months has even shifted into another gear of what is expected of organizations, what's possible. We saw with Black Lives Matter, with everything that happened, the murder of George Floyd in the U.S., uh, and the opportunity that we had to continue, whether it's equal pay for equal work, uh, work around human rights and not just paying a, a legal minimum wage, but what does it mean to really pay a fair wage, living wage, you know, plus uh, the ability for the families uh, working for us, for them to be able to really thrive, to educate their children. And then on the environmental side, we did a lot of reflecting about where we can have an impact and where do we put the cursor, you know, where do we focus and so topics like carbon and water are very close to our business. As a brewer, we use water in the brewing process. So that one has always been a focus for the company. And we were challenging ourselves to think about how we step further into the water balancing work that we've been doing. How can we use less water over time, make sure that, um, that we're operating and supporting healthy watersheds around our breweries? And when it came to carbon, based on the work, the Paris Climate Agreement and everything going on with the Green New Deal in Europe, we felt like we needed to go for carbon neutrality and had a lot of good debates about what that really meant. Um, what does it mean from an effort perspective? What does it mean from a technology perspective? Because we use a lot of thermal energy. So unlike uh, renewable electricity, which you can generate via solar and wind, it's often available, although not in every country just yet, but more understood. We use a lot of heating and cooling thermal energy, which requires different technologies like heat pumps and biogas and, and those types of things. So, you know, what does it look like to get there? How much does it cost to get there? What's the technology path to get there? What's going on with regulation and rules? And can we even do it in some countries that are not um, yet supporting that type of journey? Uh, but we knew we wanted to get to a carbon neutrality commitment, and, and we decided to go for 10 years ahead of the Paris Agreement. 
And, uh, and then by declaring all of that, by having the, the rework 2030 framework, by having 22 very specific commitments that we're going to deliver, and then launching and democratizing it. Now, all 80 of our managing directors all over the world, all of our teams, they know exactly what we need to deliver. It's actually funny, a couple of the calls that we had right after that in April, folks were saying, wow, we launched and we're proud and we're excited. What do we do now? And we said, well, here are the 22 commitments, figure out how are we going to do it? You know, in what order and what do you need to get there? And uh, now the, you know, the whole 80,000 employee force is mobilizing. For Heineken and for a lot of companies, there can be dozens and dozens and dozens of ways that they activate on their ESG commitments. It sounds like you went through a process that got you to a list of 22. Can you talk about what was involved in building consensus around these being the priorities and, and how you made decisions about you know what may have had merit, but just wouldn't make the list and why? Yes, it, this is, it's, it's so hard to do this work because making choices, it is the f- most fundamental thing about business. It's business's resource allocation. It's, it's focus. It's putting your money and your people on the priorities. And yet when you have to choose, you know, we're not going to work on biodiversity right now because we are going to focus this year on sorting out our carbon journey or, We are not going to make the additional circularity commitment yet because we're working through these other 10 commitments. It is always tough and it does require a lot of very deep listening and a lot of reflection and a lot of alignment. So we did about a year plus of deep listening with external stakeholders in the community. Where do they feel that we have the right and the responsibility to make a contribution of course, working with our employees all over the world, asking the same questions, doing a lot of analysis on where the world is going and where can we really make the biggest impact. And then also having a a look at doability factor and whether it's even possible to take on this much at once. For some of our commitments, we have an existing glide path We've been on a journey for 10, 15, 20 years. You know, our first responsibility as sustainability report was in 1994. So we've been on this journey for a while. And in some places like water, we need to do more. We want to do more, but we really are on the journey. And then there are other commitments that were new. And we had a big learning curve to go up. And we knew that without a lot of focus or perhaps a lot of investment in, in CapEx, OpEx, or time, or bringing in new folks with new expertise, whatever it was, that without a huge amount of focus, we wouldn't get there. So we did also map um, level of difficulty, level of exertion, where do we already have momentum, and where are we kind of moving from a standing start? And we had those discussions with our supervisory board, as much as with our executive committee and with our our employees. Uh, We also launched a new board committee as part of this process in December our supervisory board decided to add a committee focused on sustainability and responsibility, which I'm now driving with um, with the board. And we're having an amazing time. I, I'm so grateful to have their collaboration and wisdom and co-shaping because these are all judgment calls. How much do you bite off? How, how expensive do you think it's going to be? What are the potential risks and opportunities and uh, it really is a team sport. So I feel good about where we are. And I also know 
it requires a huge amount of focus to, to deliver. So that's uh, the next probably one or two years. It's all about sorting out the next level roadmaps and making sure we feel really confident that we're going to execute successfully. I know that you've only been back with Heineken for, I guess, a little over a year now, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. June to June plus a little bit. Yeah. Um, I'm curious, what was in place? Like, what was the state of affairs around this work when you came back into the company and how have you thought about what needed to be put in place in terms of resource, in terms of people and how those people would work together to bring this strategy to life? Yes, we, as we started down the evergreen balanced growth strategy, we realized that the biggest value unlocks were going to be amongst the silos and not within the silos, meaning the commerce team or the supply chain team or the finance team, we wouldn't be able to achieve our highest dreams for for the company if we didn't find better ways to work across, to work together across the functions, across the geographies. And we needed, we have a series of what we call bold moves which are the big plays that we're going to make to try to unlock value. As we thought about those bold moves, we decided to launch a small and lean but mighty global transformation network. And the idea was to have a group of folks who could be the oil in the machine across the functions, across the geographies, to try to shepherd Evergreen's execution and make sure that we are we're coordinating across instead of very deep 157-year-old muscle memory to go into your your functional silo or your geographic silo and focus on uh, that functional or what we call operating company, OPCO agenda. So we launched a transformation network in the beginning part of 2021. We have a a chief transformation leader in every operating company, about 80 across the world. Then we have four regions that we roll up to. So we have regional uh, chief transformers, and then we have a global transformation team. It's uh, an amazing entrepreneurial group of colleagues all over the world. Uh, And often we talk about the fact that there's no map. You know, I feel like we are an explorer from hundreds of years ago. We're on our ship called Evergreen or whatever the right uh, metaphor on the back of our horses. And we have a map in our hands and we've just left the edge of the map. And we are explorers writing, drawing, discovering this next part of the map, which is very exciting and also can be so hard and so taxing on our people and so full of ambiguity. So I'm grateful to them uh, for going on that journey with us. And, And that's the transformation side, Elliot. And then the other side is the corporate affairs side of the world where there was a mature organization of colleagues driving global communications driving sustainability and responsibility and driving government affairs, public relations and alcohol policy. And now that team, which is a fabulous established experienced team is running largely with the new evergreen strategy and then the new brew better world 2030 commitments. The way we're organized. So we have our 80 operating companies, they roll up into four regions and then the center. And then we have our global functions. On top of that, we introduced a new layer in the matrix, which is the the work stream view. And that work stream view, again, growth, cost and value, people and culture, digital technology and sustainability responsibility. 
those five work streams were intended to help be that oil in the machine to work across, to unlock more value, but to connect, to shepherd, to coordinate and get everybody to, to be able to work together for greater success. So you have functional folks who are experts in certain um, areas. You have transformation leaders who um, are looking at, let's say we have a transformation leader in Brazil or in the UK, or they're looking at their particular country strategy and their country responsibilities. And then uh, at the same time, you have a workstream captain from our executive committee who's driving the workstream lens. So the beginning of the evergreen journey, and we've talked about all of this publicly in February of, of this year, uh, we launched uh, our evergreen growth strategy to our investor community. When we launched evergreen, we committed to a $2 billion growth savings commitment to fuel the future growth. So we have our CFO, who's actually recently joined the company. His name is Harold. He is the go-to for the cost and value work stream. That's how we would call it. And we have that $2 billion growth savings that we want to drive. So Harold's thinking about the work stream. On top of that, we have all the geographies that are going to contribute parts to that $2 billion, And maybe they're going to think about more effective ways to spend our marketing dollars. Maybe they're going to think about uh, different ways that we can do revenue management. Maybe they're going to think about how um, three operating companies were all individually ordering. They're doing some procurement activities in disparate ways, and now they're going to pool the way that they're doing it. And actually, there can be a 20% cost savings by doing that. Or maybe we're going to look at our materials use, and we're going to be more intentional about both finding better circularity impacts, like taking uh, glass out of our bottles so that we have less environmental impact. But by the way, it makes the, uh, the glass bottles lighter and then they're less expensive to transport. So, you know, looking for all these types of initiatives so we can be smarter with our costs so we fuel the growth. So our CFO is driving cost and value. He's working with the geographies who are all contributing in their own ways across the operating companies. And then you have the function, which is finance in, the, in that case. And the finance team is helping to figure out ways to share across, to professionalize, create playbooks, and create functional ways of working to make it easier for all of that to get delivered. So not corporate affairs or communications examples, because mostly the transformation network has been focused uh, on fueling the growth and delivering the $2 billion, uh, to date. Have you encountered any unexpected challenges or risks uh, with being at the, at the leading edge of it? You know, you always have, I think, productive paranoia that you're not doing enough and that you're going to fall behind. And then, you know, you also, it can go the other way when you're debating a really ambitious target and you think, oh my gosh, you know, are we ready? And should we be so bold? And what if we don't have everything worked out quite yet? Are we confident enough to say we can get to carbon neutrality? You always feel like you want to do more in these spaces. It's just as a human being on the earth at a time when we have all these complex challenges, it just uh, always feels like when you're in a position to do more, you, you really should. Um, and then on the other side of that, I would say not everyone's going to agree. And we live in... Uh, in a world where everybody's a publisher and you have 
folks who can express their views, sometimes in a really elegant and constructive way that helps everyone get better, and sometimes not in the most constructive way. And, the, you know, cancel culture and etc. You have to stay the course. You have to know what's right. We have all the information to be able to assess whether we feel like, you know, in our hearts and in our minds and in the models, are we doing the right things to contribute in the best way we can? We need to continue to be adaptable and flexible and deeply listen inside and outside the company, of course. But you have to stay focused and execute and, and get the job done. And, uh, and of course, yeah, adapt along the way. Stacey, you are among the kind of unique page members who have served in business leadership roles as well. These are critical business leaders, and especially now as companies think more deeply about the societal value kind of impacts that they create and their pursuits of ESG, that's becoming an increasingly essential element of CCO leadership. I'm wondering just given the uniqueness of your experience, it it makes a lot of sense that you found yourself in the role that you're in at Heineken. I, I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that blend of experience has uh, meant for you, how it has served you, and maybe what advice you would give to CCOs who haven't served in those roles but are still leading the type of work that you're leading at Heineken. Sure. I am a big fan in doing cross-functional, having cross-functional experiences. And it's allowed me over time to pick up different sensibilities to really understand how the business works and not to be afraid of certain parts of the business especially finance. My years in finance were, they will pay dividends the rest of my life. And it was not always fun. And I didn't always feel like I was winning. I often felt like I was the worst teammate in the room that I barely could survive. I didn't really know what I was doing, but I learned it and it gave me the ability to contribute differently. I also think, you know, there's the technical knowledge that you need to pick up along the way, but the bottom line is you need to be a voracious and eager learner. You're never going to know everything. You're just not. And the world is even moving more in that direction. And you have to be super resilient and adaptable. And I think it's the, the joy that comes from being put in a situation where I have no idea what to do and I have no idea, you know, what's the right move, but being able to figure it out it's like running a gauntlet. It's a thrill and it's a privilege to be in that position. And I like the pressure and the excitement knowing folks are counting on us and you only have so much time and so many resources and you've got to figure it out and you got to deliver the goods. You know, you need to get a really good result with, you know, in a way that celebrates people and helps make people better. So, whatever experiences that folks are able to take that really gets them out of their comfort zone cross-functional moves, take the hardest job you can get your hands on, do not be afraid, build resiliency and and the fire in the belly and all these good things. And uh, that's what's given me the the comfort to often step into something and, and not only not worry that I really have no idea what we're going to do, but have the kind of quiet sense that just like the 50 times or 100 times before, we will figure it out and it'll be an incredible ride and uh, 
and incredibly fulfilling. And when I look back at some of these experiences, Evergreen definitely being one, turning around the businesses before this, the hard jobs where you really are out of your depth are the ones that you look back on the rest of your life and say, man, that was a little painful some days, but I am so glad. I am so grateful. I feel so fulfilled that I could contribute in that moment because it mattered. Hmm. Your optimism is infectious, Stacey. Mm. I can I can tell that has also served you well. Oh, thank you. I'm a, I always call myself a realistic optimist. I think that's the right. <laughs> <laughs> If you enjoyed today's episode of The New CCO, be sure to check out our latest episodes and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, leave us a rating and a review. We want to hear what you think so that we can keep making this podcast more interesting and valuable to you. To find out more about what's happening at Page, please visit us at page.org. Special thanks go to Rivet Smart Audio, our podcast sponsors. Without their support, we wouldn't be able to bring this podcast to you. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time on The New CCO.